Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. Now, sometimes on the podcast, we talk about issues impacting small businesses, and other times we focus on much larger corporations and their needs. If you have worked in either, you know that the landscape can be quite different between the two. Now, today what we're going to do is put ourselves in the middle of them, and we will find a spot where large and small often come together. Good afternoon, everybody. Jim Mitchell back with you again. And today, we'll talk about that intersection that occurs when a small business signs on to do work or provide services or materials to a larger corporation. Uh, it can be very exciting, very profitable for that small business, but the process of dealing with the front lines in procurement can be pretty daunting as well. So whenever we step into a topic like this, we are well served to have the support of an experienced business attorney. And the best of those in my book is attorney James Voigt of Lavelle Law Limited, haven't talked to him in a while, and I'm glad to have him back today. Jim, it's awfully good to talk to you. Thanks for being here. It's good to be back. It's good talking to you as well. So just in general terms, you know, getting a contract of some sort with a large national or international corporation can be a huge shot in the arm for the little guy. But, you know, the question is, you know, can they really do it? Do you, do you see a lot of situations like this? We do. Yeah, we do. And it's, it's, it's funny because uh, it can definitely be a double-edged sword because, uh, you know, a lot of times you score that huge contract and then, of course, you have the, the need to fulfill. You've got to deliver on what you said you're going to deliver, so that can be nerve-wracking. But we actually do see a surprising number of contracts that very small, I mean even the smallest, one-person corporations um, are entering into with huge companies along the lines of Motorola and Abbott Laboratories and so on. And, and, you know, as we've discussed in the past, a, a small owner, and, and you mentioned, you know, even just a, someone who just un, runs a business themselves, you know, they, they may often wear many hats. They could be the marketing guy and the IT guy, and in some cases they've got to handle legal aspects of, of running their business. Larger corporations are going to have probably the legal departments bigger than, than the small guy's entire company. So when the, when the small guy tries to wander into that environment, um, you know, are they going to have a fair shot at negotiating an agreement that's going to serve their business well? They do, and, and, and you know, generally speaking, it's exceptionally rare that a small business working with a large company like this would be dealing with their legal department. That usually only comes into play when there's some sort of default or something like that that's going on. Normally what you're dealing with is procurement, and your first look into this company will be dealing with a procurement department that would, on its surface, appear to be absolutely unwilling to negotiate. However, the key is to break through that initial surface and uh, get to what you feel is critical and then find out where the push points are that you're able to get at least some of what you're looking for in dealing with this large corporation. But yes, to answer your question in a simple way, it is possible to deal with and negotiate with and change the terms with these large, large companies. Okay. And I, I think today we can talk about some of those specific areas um, where negotiation is critical and, and where a small business should, should uh, kind of focus, as you just mentioned. But in general, um, you know, what's, what's the best way to go about negotiating with a big company? And, and it sounds like, as you just mentioned, it's kind of finding, you know, the right angle and the right place to, to you know, 
raise an issue that's important to you and start there? Exactly right. I would say the very first step that's important that most people skip, frighteningly enough, is to actually read the contract that's been provided to you. Normally, the contract comes from the large corporation. Um, and make sure you understand what's in it, because it can be a little bit surprising, some of the requirements that are in there. Um, but then a lot of the negotiation has to do with how much leverage do you have. So, for example, if you're an office supply company, you might have a very difficult time negotiating because there are so many companies that are competing with your business. We work with a lot of people that have very specific scientific skills, and they may be one of a handful of people in the country that can do what they do. So now, obviously, since there's a much more limited market, uh, they have a much greater ability to negotiate. So having a good understanding of how badly does this company need to be in business with you in particular can be very important. One of the ways that you can manage that is to um, be very tight with someone inside the organization besides procurement. Normally, when you're selling into this company, you're not selling to the procurement department. They sort of come in afterwards, after the company has decided to buy from you. You're dealing with a vice president or some line manager that has decided they would like to bring you in as a vendor. That's the person that you want to deal with, if at all possible, if there's any sort of issues that you want to try to raise with regards to the contract, terms that you want to change, et cetera. And I think that's a great point because, um, as you said, there's you know, and from my own experience, there's usually somebody inside the company that's that's championing the little guy that says, look, we need his product or service, and it's the right one to fit for what we need. And the procurement folks, not not to pick on them, but, you know, they have a routine job to do, and, and their job is to protect the large company's interest. So it's not a card you want to play every time, but when there are roadblocks or pricing or other issues that seem to be stringent and, and would be very adversarial to the small guy, maybe that's the time to pick up the phone and, and call your inside contact and say, hey, can you can you push from your end to kind of get this moving? Exactly right. And in fairness, like you said to the procurement department, these I mean, you picture a procurement department at a giant global corporation. They're dealing with thousands of vendors, and every single one of those vendors is saying, I'm special. You should treat me differently. <laughs> and it's just it's unmanageable. So until a lot of times until they hear that voice from inside their own organization, they're just going to resist that that thought that you need to be treated special. Okay. And and patience I think is a big key there too. Again, um, you know, this they're not going to move as fast as you want to move and unless somebody tells them to. So, uh, True. And very often actually when it comes to patience, you might be in a great position there because very often the the manager, the inside manager that you're dealing with is hiring you because they're coming up on a deadline. So, mm-hmm. patience might actually be on your side there. You might say, "Hey, I can wait as long as you want, but you are the ones that need to be concerned about how long this is taking." Interesting. Now, I, I want to, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, we'll talk about some of the specific areas uh, of a contract to be careful of. But just before we get into that, you know, in, in addition to your, your law degree, you, you have a degree in management and organizational behavior. So I think you bring Correct. a unique perspective to this. You know, when you look at the way big companies operate, those of us in small businesses might not even understand that. Is there just anything else to share in terms of negotiation and how to work through a big company that someone should know about before they try and dive in? Yeah, I think one of the keys would be to not don't try to combat their very process-oriented thinking. Large corporations have to do things according to a certain procedure. If you try to combat that and bounce outside of that procedure and work around it, you're going to be unsuccessful. The more successful tack is to get in, understand the procedure, and find ways, usually we're using that inside manager, find ways to make that procedure more smooth or make it apparent that you need that procedure to work faster than it normally does. 
but trying to get around that procedure is almost certainly just going to get you bounced out. They'll reject you as a vendor at some point. Uh, yeah. So again, don't try to go around, but you know, do what you can to try to get through that process as quickly as you can and understand it as well as you can. Uh, business attorney Jim Voigt of LaBelle Law Limited is my guest today. We're, we're talking about ways in which a small business can effectively negotiate with, with a much larger corporation. Jim sharing some of his knowledge and providing a nice set of suggestions to kind of ease the strain of that process. Uh, and, and Jim, I, for one, always appreciate the insight, by not here, but in the articles you post online at LaBelleLaw.com, visitors there can just go to the new media tab and then uh, – find articles um, with, with a great archive of, of different material. And, of course, our podcasts are there as well. So um, I think it's a tremendous resource. And as we talk about this, you know, from a, from a small business perspective, it seems to me that one of the most uh, disturbing, confusing, difficult parts of a contract can be that area that sometimes they talk about in terms of non-compete. Now, is that a boilerplate portion of a contract, and would you find some, some wiggle room there depending upon the type of company you are? Surprisingly, there is going to be a little bit of wiggle room there, and this is what I mentioned at the beginning, that you need to read this and understand what's in it. it. This is where it's the most important, and the reason is because these huge companies deal with a million different kinds of vendors, and they're going to be dealing with somebody who does something very, very simple, uh, like doing some software training or something like that. Or they may be dealing with somebody who's, you know, carrying hazardous waste for them. The procurement contract that you get is going to be the same for everybody. So the non-compete provisions and the insurance requirements are going to be, um, typically speaking, way overreaching. So, for example, uh, if you have a company like uh, Sara Lee, they carry a, a shocking amount of uh, different products that they offer through their various subsidiaries and affiliates. And very often you'll see a non-compete provision that says, hey, while you're working for us, you just can't work for any competitor of ours, which is, on its surface, sounds very fair, right? Well, that makes sense. You know, they're paying me to work 40 hours a week while I'm on this contract, so I won't work for a competitor. But you have to be careful about that. If you have the ability to pick up extra work, but you're only working on one very small product that that company offers, there's really no reason that you shouldn't be able to do the same kind of consulting for some completely unrelated product that might also be offered by Sara Lee through some un, you know, other affiliate. So that's something you got to watch out for. You're probably not going to have a lot of success in terms of lowering down uh, the time of the non-compete, et cetera, et cetera. But understanding what, what does competition actually mean? Can I compete literally with nothing that your company does? Or can I scale that back to say just this project I'm working on, I won't do the same thing for a very similar product? Does that make sense? Sure, absolutely. And, and um, you know, we've talked about that just in, in just general employee contracts. Non-compete can mean a lot of different things. So it's it's uh, good to define and, you know, figure out what the scope of that really is. Now, Correct. at the same time, the one thing I I know the first time I had to deal with that absolutely floored me was the uh, insurance requirements that came through in a contract. Um, yes. And I was certainly not prepared for that. Um you know, is that something that you should, as a small business, kind of push back on a little bit before you spend a lot of money to increase or expand coverage that uh, may not be necessary? Yes. I mean, we've seen uh, companies, very small companies, that would literally have had to pick up um, an insurance product that is, you know, five, six, seven thousand dollars a year to give the level of protection that they were looking for. And this is when I was saying, you know, they deal with all these vendors, you know, might even be all the way up to dealing with hazardous waste. So the the limits, they'll have an insurance requirement that you have to carry liability insurance and it has to meet these liability limits. And it might be $5 million. It's a very expensive policy for a small business owner. 
So we've had a lot of success when we're dealing with large corporations of saying, listen, you know, look at what we're doing here. You know, we're, we're just coming in here and making some recommendations on what we think the market is going to do in the future. And it doesn't make any sense for us to have $5 million of liability coverage for that. And a lot of times they'll go back and be flexible on that. So um, be very conscious of what those liability limits are because it's a great way for them to be able to say, well, you're, you're in breach as of right now, or to just prevent you from becoming a vendor at all because the insurance certificate that you sent over doesn't meet those guidelines. So it's a great idea to take a look at what those numbers are and make sure it's something that's manageable. Uh, and then the other thing that you want to do in the same way is there's almost certainly going to be a clause in there that says you as a small business owner are going to be responsible for any damages that we incur if you were to um, you know, act with negligence or whatever. If you think about the amount of damages that a global corporation can sustain based on something that you might have done, it's it's beyond comprehension. You're millions of dollars instantly. Mm -hmm. So you want to be very careful to look at that clause as well to say, listen, I will, if I mess up, if I make a mistake, I, I don't mind paying you damages, but we're going to cap those damages at the fees that you've paid me. In other words, I will refund you what you paid me if I make a serious mistake, but I can't be on the hook for whatever millions or tens of millions of dollars of damages you might incur because you're arguing that it was from my mistake. Yeah, Okay. Well, the phrase that comes to mind, because you, you shared some very specific and valuable uh, points of reference here, and it sounds to me like, as I said, the phrase that I think of is, is pick your battles. Right. Uh, one of these companies, go after the things that are most important to your ability to do business, not the things that you know you might not like but aren't really going to impact you. Right, exactly. And quickly then, just reiterate for me, because I think the most important thing I've heard you say today and just to, to hear it one more time, read the contract. Before you start signing yeah. things and doing things, make sure you know what you're getting into. You can be very surprised. But, yeah, definitely take a look at it. And uh, if you need to work with an attorney, we're here for you. Um, but at least on your own, definitely read through it and know what's in there. Excellent. Well, um, as I said at the beginning, we hadn't talked to Jim in a while, and it was great to have him back with us. But as always happens in our 15 minutes here with him, um, time has kind of expired on us. So, uh, I want to say thanks to Jim Boyd of Lavelle Law for coming by. Uh, please check him out at LavelleLaw.com. Uh, a lot of great material there from Jim and, and his colleagues. And uh, I'll certainly look forward to having him back with us again. Uh, we return each week with a new discussion and certainly look forward to having you as our very loyal listeners back with us as well. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. 